Hey everybody, on this episode of 10,000 Feet, we spoke with Christy Ennis-Klute, who is the uh, design practice lead here at OST, as well as Aaron Campice, who is our connected products practice lead. So the three of us spoke about the dysfunctions of digital teams. When you're bringing together people from all different types of practice areas, such as marketing, design, product development, things can get a little complicated. So here's some insight from Christy and Aaron. Today, you guys obviously both work with digital teams all day, every day. And so today, what we're going to be talking about is dysfunctions of digital teams. But before we kick it off, maybe one of you could give our audience just a little bit of a taste on what we mean when we say digital teams. Sure. I think teams that work on these products, like this whole service end from a digital something that you might see on your phone, on your laptop, but also it might include other services, right? So it's a whole product approach. This could be connected products too. Yep. Yep. Include physical hardware. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure we have probably countless examples, but let's just kick it off and start with one. What is one dysfunction you see in a lot of digital teams that you think needs to be addressed? I think some of it's about organizing the teams. It it takes a, a village to make a digital product mm-hmm. and you have design and strategy and mobile and back-end development and like how do you organize them? Right, and we've seen these come together um, pretty awfully in some ways. Sometimes when uh, you might start up with just one aspect of that team, so we've seen them like seen people run ahead and think like I've I've got developers, I can make a thing and I'm good. Like we're gonna yeah. run. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's like take each of those different teams and completely isolate them yeah. into their comfort zone and never really like create a cadence or create a way that they are actually building something together or go the completely opposite of the spectrum, which is, okay, we have a deadline, we have a lot of money, we have a lot of people, put them in a room and magic will happen in nine months. <laughs> uh, that, that also has been a, a results in some grand failures. Right. Right. So somewhere in the in between those two. It's more nuanced than that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's absolutely more nuanced. You know, it's really around uh, figuring out how, how, how these teams can be productive together and also kind of go and off and do their own work. Right. And also it's a function of the size of the team, right? If we're talking like the two pizza team, oftentimes they can be productive in a, in a space. I think we're, I'm going to need to know what the two pizza team is because that sounds like a team I want to join. <laughs> right, right. Two pizza team, the theory behind the two pizza team and AWS talks about this a lot. Amazon talks about this a lot of, you know, a team size that can be fed with two pizzas. Mm. So mentally, that you can put that number in your head. Like, so like me, right? <laughs> right. Got it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, you, that you can pers- like scale it enough that you can have personal relationships between the members on the team. But yeah. if it becomes too large a scale, you start to lose that connection. Yeah, right? and you have to start using different ways to organize the team mm-hmm. once it gets out beyond that. Right. So some of the stuff that we've done with Safe and Team of Teams kind of helps you go beyond that two pizza team and still you know build something big. It gives you a a good cadence and a good way to organize yeah. an example of that. Yeah. So safe and team of teams are two things I just heard you reference that I'm sure some of our listeners absolutely know what those are. Um, but for those of us who don't, do you want to give a, a high level? Yeah, framework? sure. It's a scaled agile frameworks. So for enterprise, uh, but that, that size, that scale, it's, 
you have these smaller individual teams that may deliver a line or a service line inside this larger product or ecosystem of products and having them coordinate and actually understand the dependencies between us all of those groups so they can map kind of where and when they deliver when do they work on certain pieces just so they can map this out and understand how they're all working or running as a team but without that you've got a little bit of mass chaos of people blaming each other for not helping each other out and leaving them stranded when really it's just bad communication you know and if we can anticipate and plan and help Mm -hmm. feed everybody what they need when they need it it can go so much smoother yeah, yeah. kind of related to that too, and just to dovetail into the, the mm-hmm. scaled out, uh, agile conversation, is you know another dysfunction we see is using agile words but not an agile process, mm. and so giving these teams whether it's a smaller two pizza team or a much mm-hmm. larger team, you have to use scaled agile or, or um, team of teams, get them leveraging real organization, real process, and using right. that as a framework to move forward and to establish a good baseline for the productivity of the team so things really start to look at what their output is going to be so then you know where you're landing with your your roadmap so and if i can expand on the agile thing right like the yeah so in agile like some of those principles right is Mm -hmm. It's, it's really reinforcing a um, community of autonomy. So you're really trusting people to run on their own thing. And you're absolutely going anti that if you're asking and um, for all the small things or you're micromanaging in that space and not letting people make their own decisions, you know, and trust them to move forward because you just kill and ruin the basis of the movement mm-hmm. inside those teams. So, and, and kind of breaking, like decomposing yeah. that a little bit, let's yeah. talk about the a more concrete example of that of how design and dev can right. work together, right? Right. So um, I I have a very rigorous way that I try to suggest that works together. But if, say, design is pushed out of the flow of the system, um, say we're given a task, but yet um, we're not communicating to dev what we're working on, or we don't have timelines to know this handoff, we're outside the system that is a complete dysfunction of something that's not gonna roll over, Mm -hmm. right? So we're building a piece and aspect maybe of a screen that has placement and buttons and an understanding of what goes there. And then we get to a point and uh, maybe we get held up by decision makers and they wanna review it by committee and share with all sorts of other people. Well, then it's never gonna make it to development in time in order for them to meet this two week cadence that they have to run on. And um, they don't know all the decisions that have been made around it because it was outside the system, isn't documented. So it's just going to break apart. And so if you keep it inside there, keep it rolling as a team, and they know when to expect it so that there's stuff that's lining up that they have to do behind it, mm-hmm. it's ready. Yeah. So really <laughs> understanding the dependencies between design and mm-hmm. dev, right? You, you want design working ahead of dev, and then when... De- uh, design exits their sprint that feeds the, mm-hmm. sp- the dev sprint. Are those example. the two main teams? I think that's a great question. It's It can be so much broader than that. It can yeah. work about that light, but you could mm-hmm. have everything from like business owner details, kind of like business processes that need to be ahead of design. Mm-hmm. That definition gets set of what really needs to happen or a discovery space of like, let's figure out what needs to happen. Then there's usually design and development, um, some sort of application development. It could be mobile. It could be even if there is a um, desktop application related to it. And then there could be the firmware application side of it or those. You're talking more, about connected products. I am. I'm more, like, it could really go big. More specifically than digital. Yeah. yeah. 
But it could then be the whole platform right. piece yeah. to it too. Of like, what are all these? And then even internally on the companies too, what are all the other services that they have to plug into and know that those are ready to yeah. get pulled from? So, so, so even get breaking breaking platform apart, even yeah. you have yeah. like your device interactivity connectivity layer that connects the mobile experience with the physical device, but then you also have the ingestion of data and the data analytics teams that are working here you may even have integration teams that yeah and you could have on the internal services like a whole e-commerce side that is mm -hmm. so not ready and set up so mm -hmm. yeah have you seen i'm sure you have have you seen that where it's like a product was developed without all parties at the table correct yes and it is absolutely stressful so um <laughs> and that um i think my my favorite I will call it one piece. My favorite example is when you physically saw somebody shut down and zip up inside their hoodie and try to hide from what was happening because Aww. they just were not ready, you know, for they all the activity. Denial. Yeah. yeah, total Physical. denial. I mean, yeah. I I love that as an example though of like you know when people are fighting change and fighting all this like you can see the dysfunction because they're just really going through um, processing and grieving through this like, oh my God, I have to deal with this change now. Yeah, so you yeah. can imagine the alternative to that yeah. would be yeah. feeling really good and yeah. energized. Well, the other yeah. thing that really comes out is these massive gaps just because yes. the teams are communicating requirements, right? If you go from the hard requirement that you have to do firmware updates, right? And how that process works in a device right. to what is required on the platform to right. what's the user experience going yeah. through this very risky process, right? right. How do you make it seamless? Where if you just kind of like one part of that equation, not the full equation, just throws it at the wall, right. something's going to break. It's right. either going to be the user experience or it's going to be, you know, creating an impossible scenario where the, the firmware update will mm -hmm. never happen right. or it will, be fail, it will fail and brick fail. the machine. Like, be an example. Yeah, I, I love um, throwing out these examples of like, of course, designers could run at it and say like, it'll be magic and it'll all happen in the background. But if they truly as designers also understand all the handoffs that have to happen in the background, they can design for that and make it better and more seamless mm -hmm. between it and um, kind of find ways to not have to have that come out forward and hide that from the users so they don't have to see it. But it, it is a little bit tricky, though, and, and some a lot of digital teams are run can run in agile processes or scaled agile processes. Hardware and firmware teams typically follow a more waterfall process. It's very uh, rigid. There, there's hardware involved. You have procurement of, you know, contract manufacturing and everything that has to happen. And so they have these bigger loops. And so how do you connect these? two-week loops with three six-month loops and understanding those dependencies and planning that, that out can be really tricky. I know we've got a strong connected product vent here on digital, but it's it's yeah. something yeah. we um, do a lot here. So. Yeah. A lot of assumptions can happen and things can go very wrong. <laughs> so Yeah, another yeah. area where we see digital teams really fall down is not having a, a testing and val validation culture and that means something totally different to me than probably what a lot of people mm -hmm. use in the IT field means yeah that it, it's really making sure you're building the right thing yeah and I, I don't know yeah. if you want to unpack that a little yeah, bit yeah I mean um so again like worst case we've seen is where people think they, they have to have it done and bring it to the market done I had some person tell me like I don't want to see us release multiple times a year I think it's better if we just release like twice a year and I'm like 
okay, that's that's not necessarily the direction I would go. I would try and encourage a more, again, agile environment of uh, releasing more often so you mm-hmm. can put little things out, little things you can learn from versus waiting until you've, we've, we've called them like more expensive experiments, right? Yeah. If you, if you want to wait for so long, you're it is such a shift though you know as in the business community of like getting your product as perfect as possible unfinished before it's on the shelves right (laughs) yeah compared to a digital product and the reality is is if that's your mission you're probably building the wrong thing and you're not giving yourself the opportunity to learn from getting something out sooner Mm yeah uh and that's really what we mean about testing and validation it's not the software process of testing per- that right. of course is really important, but it's truly creating a prototype and doing validation and making sure that there's a market differentiating. Yeah. You know, and again, heavy connected product vent, I'll take the heat for that, but just doing yet another command and control with a durable good yeah. isn't really, may not be solving a, a problem for the end user that is worth the cost of the additional cost of the device and the effort to keep it connected, going through the provisioning process and everything else, yeah. just to get something you can control on your phone that you can go over and just touch anyway, it needs to be much deeper than, than that oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And uncovering that value, both first from an idea, but then also turn, flip it around, create a test, whether it's a yeah. paper prototype or a mocked up prototype or a rough prototype like, where you can validate that that's important to users. Like it's my really favorite important. example where I've seen somebody actually do this, like, um, so opposite of the dysfunction of like, you've, you've sold a bunch of products onto the market or you've put them out there to distribute and then nobody buys it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Where I really like what the Switch did and creating these little kits that were like paper kits that is truly like, they just sold the prototypes basically. And now you're playing with all these prototypes that you could build yourself. So they've pushed the costs out to let other people experiment with them and find out what got traction. What did people buy? You know, that's mm-hmm. the part I find pretty exciting and like there's a tangible example uh-huh. i think i've experienced this on the other end too of what can you what is s- switch in that oh, way sorry yeah oh so i was like thinking like the data center yeah but no, no i, don't I think know that's I'm not, what you're talking about i'm not a big advocate of actually all these gameplays but i like to keep just close enough um but it is probably um it's a pretty dynamic little tool set that you can actually have gameplay happen in a little like Game Boy style single unit, or you can actually attach it to uh, display up on your TV and plug oh. it in as a main game console, but you're literally playing on the same device through both and it just disassembles into pieces or mm. comes back together as one whole. Pretty awesome. Sounds fun. Pretty fun. Nintendo, right? Nintendo yep. <laughs> okay. And they are, to me, like they are taking huge strides to really live this culture like all the way through, wow. you know, and try it out. So I feel like there's parts where I've, I've, as the consumer, felt this, where I've experienced kind of products that were unfinished, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to also um, live it on the other end of, like, I need to accept this as a consumer and appreciate the culture of, like, I'd rather have something than nothing, you know, or do I, am I okay with waiting till the rest of the product gets finished and getting exposed to just a piece of it right now? But if they're communicating well enough that other features are coming, I think that's fine. People will have a tolerance to that. Um, and they'll learn much more quickly. Yeah, and the idea that you're buying something that will value will be added to it. Yes. Right? Whatever that is. Extend that versus, product. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a different way of thinking about things. Yeah. Because I keep thinking, like, even desktop, other, like, there's other tool sets we've seen grow and change over time. Um, I've seen some go wrong too, where they've just grown t- too far. So, yeah. 
You know, another dysfunction that we've seen is this concept of getting to the finish line and, t and companies believing that their digital teams believing they'll done. be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that other side. That's yeah. that's a hundred percent wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're creating a new engagement platform for your customers, or you're adding connectivity to a durable good you've, that's been in the marketplace. Your responsibility to those customers and your engagement model totally changes in a way right. that you're now always connected to them. Mm -hmm. And that's going to force you to stand up programs and engage with your customers differently. And you're going to learn how they use your product versus how you, how they don't, how you think they are, or is going to be wrong. Some other ideas you have are, are going to be right, hopefully. Like, but, yeah, I, I think about like physical products have always thought like you have a 10 year life cycle or a five year or they have already like a plan at, um, obsolescence kind of thing, obsolescence that it will phase out over time. But if you communicate that well versus turning it into a brick just because you decide not to support it as a company anymore. Or I think other people have experienced this around paying for a membership or paying for a thing that you're invested. You're now into this piece of whatever you've bought, if it's an app or something else. And then suddenly they quit supporting it or it just yeah. never keeps growing and you're like where's the value what happened mm -hmm. to this thing um they'll lose you and they'll start having people drop off and then they have to reinvest totally from the beginning again to start right. a whole nother product when why not build on a base of something Absol absolutely and in a lot of companies if they if they start backing off their plans yeah even if because they've had limited commercial success but the idea is good yeah uh, are leaving a lot of potential opportunity on the uh, on the table. We're seeing once you know how, who's using your goods, how they're using it. There's a strong like insights and analytics play yeah. with this, where you can fold that into later phases of your project. And if you don't do that, you're not going to differentiate yourself from your co co current competition or dif differentiator that's going to come in and use yeah. analytics as a, a strategy against you. So if I can bring this back to the team, though, mm -hmm. of like, why is this important for the team? I think that's a dysfunction we've seen, too, is just assuming you can just plug people in and it'll all work out. But without communicating this vision and this idea of where it's going, people are going to be so short-sighted and just do exactly what they need to do without having to see where those fuzzy edges are and making sure that they blend together, right, from one piece to the next. They'll do their role, do their job, but it's like, you, yeah, there's misses, there's hiccups, you know, that makes it not smooth. So so it's kind of this idea of, like, you have this as a team, this shared, we, we were joking, called it, like, team lore, you know, kind of thing, but how do you actually get this um, thread that's going to carry it through, even as maybe teams do need to rotate or people do leave, you need to have this clarity of habits and mindsets that and the whole vision right and share this as a team of where it's going so since both of you are managers of teams here i mean how do you help your teams kind of develop that trust and camaraderie in order to thrive yeah I, so we say too, like this, this happens often in strategy work too. Like there's this brilliant, beautiful plan of strategy set forward, but without making it transparent, accessible, revisiting it, finding ways that you're reinforcing why you're doing the things you're doing in your daily work, making mm -hmm. it apply to that person, it makes it so hard to carry forward. So we try to do that, try to make it something people can live and feel, you know, in their work they do and making something they're responsible for that they can, um, have what they're doing actually impact the end outcome? I think the other is the simple answer to that is having work that they're consuming as a team mm -hmm. with clear goals, working through that work, and 
being honest with each other in terms of accountability and also being safe, be able to be safe yes. to, yeah. in some ways, be raw, very raw. Yeah. And also, you know, the, the, the power of a, of a well-run retro, the example yeah. of that, whether it's at the end of a sprint or at the end of a program increment or a release, where people really talk about what works, celebrate mm-hmm. meaningfully, you know, what is working well, and then mm-hmm. also be able to unpack the things that aren't working and set those as goals in the next increment, whatever it might be, to, to address those issues yeah. is so super important. Otherwise, they don't get better, right? Yeah. And, and so, be, and, but that takes trust and trust is built around real work. Yeah. Like you're producing something, you're able to s- uh, celebrate the successes. You have something really strong that you can then go back and t- t- turn a critical eye to. Yeah. And, if you don't have that, then it's pretty hard to be you productive. Credibility, or we've talked about this, is like you're building a bank of trust that you can dip into then now and then if you need to. You have the savings of how you can lean on each other and ask for that moment in time, you know, to try something different. It's so trust, and the other one is invested. Like, people need to care. It's hard. It's harder to bring up a hard issue than you think, right? Mm-hmm. People really, unless they're jerks, really... <laughs> have to care enough because there's a whole grain of nicety in you know the keeping everything even on the team that you're risking when you raise an issue and say hey this didn't work mm-hmm. yeah and just one last tip of like just just really just as a team you all understand what success means like where are we going do we all have that common idea of where we're trying to end and that, that we can live it you know find ways that that you embody that every day yeah awesome so. Anything else you guys want to make sure we touch on before we start to land the plane? Mm, you guys get I, it? I, I, <laughs> 10,000 feet? I'm ready to land the plane. Oh, That's, there we go. Yeah. I um, should have brought my parachute. Oh. <laughs> oh. I wish they could see that I've got my captain's hat on, but yeah. unfortunately it's podcast. So. so I would just say like, I mean, it's, there's like a total morale builder. It's a, something that like really keeps people close and want to stick around for the good time, you mm-hmm. know, when you actually do these things well and pull it together versus, yeah, a little dysfunction. If, <laughs> if you promote more of that, you're going to have less of the joys and keeping a good solid team together. Have good, good processes that are malleable, that it's a good framework for the framework. team to build, build mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. But then... The culture piece, I think, is uh, the, the other side of it. It's yeah. so important to build, start building trust. Yeah, and build your people. Have yeah. an op- open culture where, mm-hmm. you know, be able to question and tackle hard issues as a team is super important. Awesome. Yeah. So do you guys have any good resources or, or things that we should share with our listeners that would be helpful for them? I think we have some exercises out there, too, that, or so there is sometimes some frameworks, um, I'm going to throw out a couple that this is really more around an individual level of like, how do you build a person or how do you kind of match up a team? Everybody uses that T-shaped person just as a reference. So if you're looking, what does a T-shaped person mean? I think that's a, uh, it's an ideal reference kind of thing as the T-shape, but I love the Jared Spool reference. It's more of a broken comb. Um, and that even applies as a team. So you might have some people that are stronger in one space and some people that are less strong in another. And then how do you balance out those needs and fits? We've even talked about it as how you do a matchup between the customer or the company. Oh, right. And the um, team working on it. Team working on it. Yeah. So that you actually make sure that you've got a match of needs and sets. Mm-hmm. So you kind of complement the things that they don't have. Yeah. Line that up. 
So I'm going to go really old school on everybody and go at a much broader topic. Uh, you know, I've been around in the consulting field for a, yeah. a while. And a book that I keep falling back on in terms of the topic around trust is one by, it's called The Trusted Advisor by David H. Meister. It's a great book. It's old. It's a little campy, but uh, it gives you kind of a good perspective on like trust and how you can apply that in your yeah. professional life. And yeah. I think some of that can project down into you know team and team building. I have two more. Now you say books. I'm like, oh, God, I could run on books for quite a while. Oh, um, <laughs> well, we can always add some to yeah. our podcast story notes yeah. if, th- if you think of more. Yeah. But I've got, um, I can't be too, I, I do think of the five dysfunctions of a team. Yeah. I actually feel like it, as, <laughs> yes, as, uh, it feels reading through it. It's a little tough, but actually it's a really easy read story that has some very solid things that just don't change. They're, they're true and true through. Of and like they how, have like a, I think they have a video. Like you can watch <laughs> it on YouTube for like <laughs> so, 15 minutes yeah. if you aren't a Still big solid. reader. Yeah. And the, as well as um, one I like that very much, um, I actually felt like this was a little bit outside of my range to read, but I it was very applicable, was um, uh, The Phoenix Project. I recommend this to people over and over again mm-hmm. because it talks about the end-to-end needs inside of IT. While you have some fast-moving needs in a team, there's also the internal things that help you run constantly as a business and how do you balance the requests right so that you're not you can focus on the the product the thing the digital team space that you're trying to create without getting distracted and pulled in different directions of what people need from you but it's managing the work gives you different ideas there Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm sure our listeners will be thrilled to have some resources. I know that I certainly learned a lot today from your conversation, so I appreciate that. And as we kind of wind down, some of our listeners know this, you both obviously do, but OST's headquarters are actually based in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in an old game factory. It's called the Druki Factory. So we have a lot of games all around our offices and in our conference rooms. So I want to close this with asking both of you, what is your favorite game? And now I feel like maybe I need to also look into that Switch system because that feels <laughs> right. like that's of interest to me. Aaron, do you have one? Zelda Call of the Wild, by the way, is really fun. <laughs> what, what was it? <laughs> Zelda Call of the Wild. Is that Breath on of Switch? The Wild? Sorry, Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Are you? Is that your final answer? Yeah. Okay, locking it in. Favorite yeah. game? Monopoly. Oh, man. I just played some Monopoly, and it got wild. Actually, it didn't, but it did get long, mostly. All right. Well, thank you both for joining us. We really appreciate it, and hopefully we'll have you back on to the podcast sometime soon. OST, changing how the world connects together. For more information, go to ostusa.com slash podcast.